totally football show. Today, Brighton rocks and so do Huddersfield. Ara Moyes sparks worst Man United performance since David Moyes. Elsewhere, Klopp and Koeman deafened by people pointing out they can't defend. We join in. There's the latest on Koeman, least convincing performance on the Goodison sidelines since that man with a baby tried to punch the Leon keeper. And there's France, Germany, Italy, the Inzaghi brothers and the incredible Udinese Juventus, Nottingham Forest, a little bit of politics and other things too in this Totally Football show. Yep, Totally Football show after a pretty remarkable weekend of football and Michael Cox joining us today. Hello, Michael. Hi, James. Also, Leroy Rosenia is back with us. Good to be back. How have you been, Leroy? I've been very good, very good. All right, cool. Been a bit of a stranger, haven't you? I've been away. You've got plenty to say. I've got lots to say. Yeah, you're back today. All right, Matt Ford. Hello. New face for the Tony uh, Football Show. Yes, not to me. Um, I've had it for 34 years, but uh, right. it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Uh, you're uh, a comedian? Yeah. Because you also do that uh, Unspun podcast and on Dave, which is a political thing. That's right, yes. Political comedy show on Dave. Right. Uh, and the fourth series starts in January next year. Bingo. You're also a Nottingham Forest fan, but not professionally. And what is a professional Forest fan? Sure, there are some. Yeah, well, I, well, I am dedicated. I don't. I wouldn't want people to get the wrong impression. I am uh, mad about Forest and uh, delighted after beating Burton at the weekend. There you go, Michael. You once wrote a piece about the rise of New Labour and how it tied in with Dennis Bergkamp. Is that right? I did. Issue zero of the Blizzard. If you're interested. Bingo. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that later on, or not, Leroy, or not. <laughs> there's, there's certainly so much. I mean, look at this. This is my agenda. I'm just. Oh, wow, God. look at that. That's, that's... There was a lot of football this weekend. Wasn't there, A though? lot of big football, yeah. yeah. Um, let's begin with Ronald Koeman, which is the opposite of what Everton are doing. Sunday's defeat against Arsenal, leaving the Toffees in the bottom three, all hope extinguished for the fans trooping out of Goodison. Uh, are you surprised at uh, the decision to let him go, Leroy? No, no, I'm not at all. I, I watched the game live and I thought, right, okay, they'll they'll be up for it. He, he brought a, a young lad in, Kenny, so the fans could, you know, get get up for it. But the players just, I mean, they went one 0 up, but they should have been four four nil down before Rooney actually scored that goal. And then after that, there's only one player who could get close to anybody when they didn't have the ball, and that was Gare. But he got too close and got sent off. So, you know, you look at the team. And you look at all those youngsters, I feel sorry for Tom Davis, for Lookman, Holgate, who was left out. And you're thinking, well, at the end of the season, these were these were the players they were raving about. And mm. you thought, oh, bringing a bit of experience just to help the youngsters along. But they brought the experience and they kicked the youngsters out. And so there's no heart at the club. And from what I hear, Ronald Koeman doesn't want to get involved with a club like Everton. Now, when you don't want to get involved with a club like Everton, you have an unbelievable community department who really relate to their supporters. When things start to go wrong, Everybody goes against you. And I think that's what's happened to Ronald Koeman. Mm. Looking at the team, Michael, do you think somebody coming in to pick up the reins is going to face an, an easy job? Is, is there enough material there to make a proper go of this season? I think the squad is, is really badly assembled, as we've mentioned before. There's just a real lack of pace there, aside from a couple of the young players. They seem overloaded on kind of creative ball-playing midfielders. And yet, despite that, didn't create a lot of chances yesterday. I mean, the two goals came from you know, a long-range effort from Rooney and then a, a terrible mistake by Petr Cech. So they're not even doing what you would expect um, with the players at their disposal. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be quite tough to, to get them into um, top half this season, actually. I think they're going to really? be struggling, yeah. Mm. Ronald Koeman came out of St Mary's with a terrific reputation. Why is he such a boob now, Michael? I'm not entirely sure about that Southampton thing. Mm. I gather Southampton weren't too disappointed to let him go. I mean, he was um, he did an OK job there. I think Koeman's just a... He's a He's a fine, a fine manager. He's an okay manager. I don't think he's ever really shown himself to be great, and I don't think he's disastrous because Everton are struggling. I just, I think it's quite a badly assembled squad, and he's he's struggled. And he's like, you know, like Leroy alludes to. I think that there's a, a lack of spirit there. It's tough to know whether that comes from the manager or not. But but, but when you look at the team, and I know that it's unbalanced, as Leroy was pointing out, but there's some terrific young players there. They did buy in some valued Premier League. Performers and their, their their performances are just extraordinary. When you look at um, not just in the Premier League where they're now in the bottom three, as I mentioned, but also in the Europa League, uh, draws at home with Apple on Limassol, uh, the defeat at home to Leon with the kind of catastrophic crowd involvement, Ashley Williams uh, pushing the Leon keeper out the way. It, it speaks of a, a club, or at least it seems to Matt, of a, a club completely in disarray. Particularly the <clears throat> that sort of Ashley Williams incident that you talk about, and I was worried about him yesterday because he looked well Sunday. Um, 
he looked like he was sort of... You can always tell when a club is in crisis there are certain factors that are present and it's not just about results, it's about the way the fans react to what's happening and it's also about the psychological temperament of the players on the pitch. And When you start getting into scraps in, in awful European games and then fans are sort of getting involved... Of course, that could have happened if they were top of the league and they, you know, they really wanted to win it. But there is a there is a storm that sort of brews around times like this that, that is very ominous, and I think very hard to shake the impression that not just are Everton sort of struggling in the league a bit, but that the, the entire sort of club is in crisis. And when players are behaving the way that Ashley Williams did, and then fans are getting involved, you just think this is now a toxic atmosphere. Mm. Well, look at all the money that's been spent, James. And you know, you say about you know this, this squad has been. Assembled. Let's forget about the striker instead. But Leighton Baines, uh, Jagielka, they're still there now. Leighton Baines has been a terrific footballer as has Jagielka. But you know, last season we thought this was Jagielka's last season. They bring Ashley Williams in and Keane in, and he's still in the side. And so the big miss for them is Coleman because, and the reason he's a big miss is because he can run because he's pace from that right back position. He was the one who got behind. And you look at that team. You know, Schneidlin doesn't get in behind. Gaia don't doesn't get in behind. Wayne Rooney isn't going to do that. Certainly Sigerson's not going to do that. So you look at that team, there's, there's no, no legs in that team. There's no pace. And when you're in the Premier League and you've got no pace, no one who can run, you've got Morales on the bench, Lookman on the bench, all those players who can, who've got a little bit of legs who can do something, can go past players, go behind players. Obviously, they've got Calvert-Lewin, but he's still a kid. You can't rely on him. You're going to have problems. And so it just amazes me that that team has been assembled by Von Akuma. And I, I do, I understand Lukaku, when you lose a 20-goal-a-season striker, it's always going to be difficult. But they had no spirit against Arsenal, and mm. it could have been it could have been seven or eight. Excitingly, next up for Everton, it's a trip to Chelsea in the League Cup. We'll have more on that and the situation post Cumin in Thursday's exciting edition of a Totally Football Show. Because this result, in some ways, no surprise, because it is the most common result in English top-flight football. Did you know this, Matt? Uh, Arsenal beating Everton has happened more than any other result in history. Top flight English football. Wow. Yeah, this is the 95th time. <laughs> Equally, no one's ever scored more Premier League goals against Arsenal. As I think you were pointing out last week. Yes. Uh, Michael, than, than Wayne Rooney. And he went and did another, excitingly, almost exactly 15 yeah. years after his opening pre- Premier League goal, which is also against Arsenal. And similar as well. It was a similar sort of goal. Yeah. Arsenal been defending the same for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a comforting thought, isn't it? Well, hey, hey uh, Arsenal, there were lots of positives here. Yeah. I look, I, I have problems with Arsenal, but you know, I, I'm always trying to protect Mesut Ozil yeah. because the people forget he's a, he's a World Cup winner and he's a World Cup winner for a reason. And the re- reason he's a World Cup winner is because he can play. The boy can play. I know he has his deficiencies. He doesn't run back. He doesn't tackle. But I heard that about Glenn Hoddle, which used to drive me wild as well, by, by the way. Um, and I just think that the makeup of the Arsenal team doesn't bring out the best in Mesut Ozil. But when he's in, in the side and when he plays like he did against Everton, and he is... Uh, an unbelievable player. Every little one-touch pass game off. Uh, people will talk about his goal, but his general play was fantastic. Danny Reeves says, Michael, just finishing the mixer, cracking stuff. That's Michael's book, everyone. Uh, but he, he wants to know, why do we think us will get such a hard time from both press and fans? Is there something, is there something he represents that rubs up against the kind of ingrained... Yeah, I mean, as Leroy Leroy alludes to, he's he's not the typical kind of English footballer. He doesn't get stuck in. Um, But if you look at the stats, actually, he covers a lot of grounds, I think we've mentioned Mm. before. Um, And I think when he plays for Germany, he's he's very good at the kind of pressing and and working off the ball. I think this game just suits him. Ozil's basically a counter-attacking player. He broke through when we were really first aware of him for Germany at the 2010 World Cup when they're always playing on the break and they're absolutely fantastic. He went to Real Madrid. And Jose Mourinho built a fantastic counter-attacking team around him and Ronaldo. And I think Ozil sometimes struggles when the opposition are part behind the ball. I'm not sure he's very good at actually dropping into deeper midfield positions and playing the balls into the final third. But when he's got space to run into, I think as a playmaker, he's the best in the world. And I think that might have been actually his best performance for Arsenal. I mean, he's been very good over the years at, at providing one or two decisive moments in games. But I don't think he runs the game as much as he does um, as much as he did um, against Everton. All right. He's got those eyes that look like he's just about to fall asleep. You know when you think somebody's been up for twenty four hours and they're just they're just not interested. So he's got those Esley, he's got those eyes yeah, where you think stone. he's just gonna doze off. And people don't like that. They don't like lethargy and he looks lethargic. Are you saying that he's the only player who's got lethargic oh, he's got sleepy eyes? He's got sleepy eyes. It looks like he's been hypnotized because they're big eyes, aren't they? And it looks like he's been hypnotized about to go to sleep. And sometimes he plays like that. You genuinely think that's why people are <laughs> <laughs> It's a theory. 
It is one. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned Mourinho building a, a, a counter-attacking team around him at Real Madrid, and lo and behold, last was it, I think Friday morning there was this big exclusive on the back of the mirror about how Jose is only going to do it again now at Old Trafford that Mesut's told his teammates that he's off to to United. Is, is there any? Tr- do we know if there's any truth in this? Well, I mean, that journalist is renowned for having strong links within Arsenal, and uh, it's not the kind of story that he would want to get wrong for kind of political journalistic reasons so I think there probably is some uh, some truth in that and you look at how uh, Mkhitaryan's been playing for Manchester United not particularly productive this season so it looks like there could be a slot there for him and if Jose could get him to bed on time then we could see <laughs> a real difference it's funny because usually Jose's about like not valuing that kind of player and they go off and do really well mm, as well I thought it was a really interesting story that we should just say we should salute we, we mentioned Everton's troubles in the Europa League how about that goal the one that Arsenal scored away at Red Star Belgrade, Matt. Did you catch that? I didn't, know. Did uh, you not? Wow. You know, I have to admit, European football mm. does not turn me on. And I realise that I'm a sort of a freak in the modern era. Um, even English clubs playing in the Champions League or Europa League, I have to say, doesn't... I have quite old-fashioned tastes and would rather watch non-league football. Right. Watch. I what, almost what, acted... you missed, what you missed was... Michael Leroy, do you want to... OK, Michael. It was fantastic because it was almost a combination between the type of Arsenal goal that they score when they play three teams, you know, on the edge of the box with tight passing with another incredible Giroud finish. It wasn't quite a scorpion kick. It was an overhead kick, but it was an overhead kick that he really had to contort his body into an awkward position and yet sent a kind of dipping overhead kick into the top corner. It was so good. And, and at the end with, of a terrible game, which made yeah. it even better. But also it started with that wonderful Jack Wilshire run that burst through the middle. It was a reminiscent of another goal of the season Yeah, the, from the Norwich goal when he combined with Giroud. I've got to say, actually, I've been quite sceptical about Jack Wilshire's return. I think one or two good performances and people get really carried away. But... I've been really impressed with him when he's he's played. Actually, he's played in you know short bursts. Mm. He hasn't started a Premier League game yet, but he looks up to speed and he looks like he just is, uh, you know, to a certain extent, is what Arsenal needs. He's smoking, but but in a good way. Yeah, um, yeah. The he got fifteen minutes at Goodison, didn't he, at the end of the game? Yeah, and and he looked bright. I mean, you know, the game was dead by that point, but I expect he'll start again. Um, uh, on Tuesday in in the League Cup against Norwich, mm. and um, once he's got a start under his belt, I mean. Xhaka hasn't been covering himself in glory the last couple of games, so you wonder. He's a different type of player, Wilshire, but you wonder if there's a, a spot available for him there. Absolutely. All right. Um, do you want to take a break here, Ben? Okay. Probably well, interesting to see if he does get the start midweek in the League Cup, which will also feature the other man on the brink, Slatham Bilic at West Ham, facing Spurs. Yikes. Spurs, who started Sunday's other game, the 4 1 win over Liverpool. We'll be talking about that right after this. Running a small business is hard. It can take weeks to set up a meeting with the bank who will then charge all sorts of fees for their business services. But Tide is different. It's a new nimble banking service which will save small businesses like yours time and money. It takes just three minutes to get started with Tide and you'll get a UK sort code and account number and a company MasterCard. Tide also provides automated bookkeeping and an invoice assistant and it works seamlessly with all major accounting software like Xero, Sage and QuickBooks. So head to Tide.co and enter the promo code TOTALLY to get six months of free money transfers. After that, your account becomes pay-as-you-go. There are no monthly fees ever. That's Tide.co and the promo code TOTALLY. Tide, the current account your business deserves. Matt, interesting views there on European football. Yeah, but I I, I think in terms of European football and Champions League football and things, Mm. I think we've sort of bred this sort of new generation of football fans stay at home, watch it on the telly stay at home and watch it on the telly rather than go to games and experience what football is really about. Mm. I think broadcasters have sort of perpetuated that. I think it's sort of killing the soul of the sport. I don't think I think that's got more to do with it than players' wages. I don't think fans mind players getting good. You money. think European football is killing the soul of the modern sport? To some extent, yeah. Or more to the point, the armchair fan experience of, you know, we're going to show you loads of games, just all you have to do is sit on your telly and shut up. Right. Rather than go to games, support your local team and enjoy it. Would literally the worst programme you can imagine in terms of the world being (laughs) of football be a show which didn't even show you one game, it just relentlessly flitted from match to match showing you only the goals? And then another one. Oh, my God. The Premier League's called Goal Rush. They have a line there and every time a goal scored, they go to that goal. Don't worry. We're we're light years away from that kind of thing ever hitting (laughs) us. Interesting. Hey, maybe you would enjoy, Matt, totally live, totally world tour. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. 
Well, we'll see. It begins in Birmingham, duh, on the 8th of November with myself, Ian uh, McIntosh, Julian Laurent and James Horncastle, big continental football experts. Uh, tickets, the handful that are still available, are at glee.co.uk, but uh, hurry yourself up because uh, Wednesday 8th of November, that's not far away now. If you miss out on that, you can always attend the big one at the O2 Indigo. That's on the 29th of November. Again, uh, myself and Ian, uh, Raphael Honigstein joining us. Also, Kevin Bridges, oh, another wow. you know Absolutely. another comedian stroke football fan. Good friend of mine. Big, Is he? Big Celtic fan, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And also a big Barcelona fan. Yes. Goes out there quite a lot to watch Does them. he? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're on tour, aren't you, at the moment, Matt? Yes, I'm on tour at the moment. Got a few dates left. Exeter, Gloucester, I can't remember, but you can get all the dates at mattford.com. Mattford.com. Mattford.com slash live. By the way, if you want to get tickets to the O2 Indigo, if that fits in with your attending Matt's tour, theo2.co.uk slash events. I prefer to just sit at home and watch comedy on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) In little bursts. You can't beat the live experience. But you would say that, wouldn't you, Matt? Oh, of course. Yeah. Unless I'm on TV, in which case, don't go out, stay in and watch it. Absolutely. There you go. Matt, good weekend for Forrest? Great weekend. A huge relief to have beaten Burton Albion 2-0. There you go. Because you were coming off that defeat with Derby. It's always horrible losing to Derby. When you lose to Derby and you're on a sort of run of defeats, it's it's tricky. And, um, you know, we've got a new regime at Forrest. Mm-hmm. We've got new owners, mm-hmm. um, a new chairman and a relatively new manager. And you obviously want it to work because we've been out of the Premier League for a long time now. Sadly, I think other Forest fans don't share my patience. And at half-time, a lot of them chose to boo the team off at nil-nil. Did they? Yeah, just incredible behaviour. Was the mood better after the... Especially that second goal with uh, Lehigh's uh, oh. remarkable victory lap. You know, some people have said, oh, you just, know, you shouldn't celebrate like that. If, how did he celebrate? He does a victory lap of the entire pitch. High he fives runs, all the he way. Runs, he runs the the, the 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 entire circumference. Yes, yeah, it's a circumference of a rectangle. Perimeter, <laughs> Actually, perimeter you're perimeter right. Perimeter, perimeter, yeah. The entire perimeter just keeps going and going and going and going because it yeah. means so much to me. I haven't played for Forest in a while. Hmm. Not only as a defender has he done his job in keeping a clean sheet, he's he scored for Forest. You know, a crucial point. And it, people talk about you know how players should behave. I want to see players who. Who, who it, it means the world to. Yeah, it did go on quite a long time. That I mean, because yeah, the, good first, on him. the first 15, 20 seconds, you're thinking, this is remarkable how much passion he's showing. And then about 40 seconds in, you're thinking, my word, he's going to do the entire perimeter, isn't he? Part of me thinks because he hasn't played for a while, he was just showing off how fit he was. Right. He sort of wanted to prove that he could sort of knock out a 10K after uh, after scoring a goal. But he right. looked fantastic. He's a great footballer as well, Eric Lehigh. Okay. Uh, and good on him. Good on him indeed. More Championship and Football League chat in the Totally Football League show is coming up on Tuesday when uh, Ian McIntosh, illness permitting, will be joined by former QPR boss Chris Ramsey. Uh, They'll be talking about Cambridge, apparently, and Rotherham. And I do hope there'll be a mention for uh, JT getting his first goal for Villa as they beat uh, Fulham 2-1. All sorts of excitements. Wolves staying top with a 3-2 win over Preston. Anyway, more of that kind of thing on Tuesday. I don't want to steal... Ian's thunder there, uh, especially when we've got so much to discuss ourselves. Who saw Spurs Liverpool? Everybody saw it. If you didn't, what did you miss? Well, Spurs and Kane looking awesome. Somebody pointing out or somebody asking after this game, are Tottenham Hotspur what they are now? Is that what Liverpool was supposed to be under Klopp? Yeah, to a certain extent. Uh, you know, Tottenham are, I think, 18 months further down the line in terms of their manager than Liverpool. Yeah, it was a really good display from Tottenham and it reminded me very much of their display against Dortmund in the Champions League um, when they played counter-attacking through Kane and Son. And obviously that's interesting because Klopp's a, a former Dortmund manager and it felt like they took the same template here. I think what we're seeing is um, a bit of an evolution from Pochettino in terms of the way the team are playing. Uh, both Real Madrid and uh, Liverpool at the weekend, he essentially played two up top. First with Llorente and Kane and now with Son and Kane. Different players, obviously, Lorente and Son do different things. But just the ruthlessness they showed in that first half, Mm. um, I thought they were fantastic. And I thought it's an obvious thing to say, but Kane was wonderful yet again. Not just the the two goals he scored, but I thought the assist for Son was, you know, showed selflessness and intelligence and was a really good pass in behind, the kind of pass that Kevin De Bruyne is playing so much at the moment. There were some injury concerns about Kane after the, the end, yeah. yeah. Well, Pochettino seemed to play that down and said he was just tired, which doesn't really... him, I think, for the yeah. League Cup. Well, I, I don't think there's any chance he'll play League Cup. Yeah. Um, but that the fact Pochettino said he was just tired, I thought it was odd. That doesn't really tally with Kane going down and holding his 
hamstring. So Ooh. maybe there'll be further, further developments there. But with the way Son is playing and the way Lorente has you know, made some good contributions, maybe they're not as dependent on him as they were you know, the start of last season when you thought if he, if he gets an injury, they're, they're really going to struggle. I'm not sure Spurs fans would share your optimism vis-a-vis Lorente and his recent performances. Uh, Maradona certainly enjoyed this game, didn't he? Yes, he seems to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of questions here. Uh, this one's for Leroy. UK Greyhound Racing hmm, uh, says, "Do you think Leroy Spurs will be the best team not to win anything again this season?" Yes, I do. Oh. Uh, I, I do. I have reservations about Wembley, and uh, obviously with the form that Man City are in, it's going to be very, very difficult. And you saw. It was fatigue. I thought Kane went down with cramp. It looked like typical cramp, you know, when you go down and you just the, the muscle tightens and, and he had those uh, shorts on as well. So I think they've moved. They've with, come with shorts, like the under The under shorts, yeah. All right. You always see that he's obviously got a slight problem there with fatigue. Oh, but, compression ones. Uh, exactly. So that speaks myself. to some kind of underlying problem anyway. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been wearing them or what? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I Maybe think he came on his bike. Good shout. <laughs> 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 but, um... The, the the point I was trying to make, uh, uh, Jays, was um, they are com- they are moving forward, but it just seems that you know Man City and, and Man United with the money that they spent and maybe just moving forward a lot quicker. Their, their squads a lot stronger, and you you talked about the the comparison with Liverpool, but you know they put Oya at left back, you know to stop Salah. They made some tactical changes. Deli Ali went into a midfield three to stop Liverpool being strong in midfield. And that's the difference with, with Pochettino and Tottenham compared to, to Klopp and, and, and Liverpool. We know how Liverpool are going to play. You know, we know that if they concede, they're going to lose. And, um, and, and they are moving forward, but they'll most probably finish second or third. So what do you think Spurs are missing? Because not just the, the Premier League, they've also got League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League even. Well, this season, if they were playing at White Hart Lane, I think they'd be right up there with Man City. Does, uh, does Sunday's performance not make you think that that's not an issue anymore? <laughs> I, I do think that teams will go to Wembley and just lift their games and they'll find it very, very difficult. I thought Liverpool were poor yesterday. You know, they played at Bournemouth side in the bottom three, no disrespect, but mm. they should have beaten Bournemouth. A great performance against Real Madrid. When I saw the side against Real Madrid, I said, what's he doing, Pochettino? Oh, well mm. done at the end of the game. Very well done. You know, picked a good side. But again, Liverpool was shocking to start the game and they'll get teams there who'll go there and they will lift their game. And it will be a problem, especially with fatigue. Are you playing on Wembley week in, week out? It's no surprise that Harry Kane, he's played there for England, he's played at Wembley in about 10 games this season. And that has a, a profound effect on, on your fitness. So uh, so it's good that Pochettino's got a big, big squad and he needs to rotate it wisely. OK, we'll have that Liverpool conversation in a second or two. I think you know the one. Uh, but first, here's a question from Nick Samuels. Who says Deli Ali looked better in a deeper role yesterday? Is he really the number ten or trequartista that he's made out to be, Michael? Yeah, I thought he played very well. I think he's an interesting player, Ali, because I think he's better almost as either a central midfielder or playing right up there, just off Kane, almost as a second forward, rather than in the in-between position as a number ten. I'm not sure he's top class in terms of getting the ball in tight positions and playing those kind of David Silver passes but either with the ball at his feet or running onto the ball I think he's excellent and uh, I think Spurs deserve a lot of credit because they were without Dyer, they were without um, Wanyama and so they played really three ball players in the centre of the pitch against a physical Liverpool side who were going to press them and get in their faces and they didn't really have any problems in that respect I thought Wings wasn't quite as good as, as he was in the Bernabeu, but again, very solid in a different mm. role. And Ericsson and Ali can, can play deeper and, and they just don't have any problems. It's very impressive. Mm. Well, the, the context with, with Spurs, I think, for a lot of people is, is the, the England implication is not just Kane's fitness, but the relationship between Ali and Kane is something that if you can crack it at Spurs, England should absolutely copy. And obviously last season when they had Rose and Walker sort of all playing together and Dyer, they, they were really the backbone of the England squad. So as someone who's not a Spurs fan and still resents them for the 1991 FA Cup final, the, the one thing positive they could do for the rest of us go, is Matt. sort of crack, crack the England unit for us. There you go. I was going to say about Dele Alli, the reason oh, why yeah. he's so good in that number 10 position for Spurs isn't what he does in possession, it's what he does out of possession. He's the first man to go and press with Kane and they press high at the pitch. Yesterday they weren't ever going to do that against Liverpool and I think that's why he dropped him into a deep, deep All position. Right. All right, Liverpool then. Dejan Lovren catching pelters from uh, pretty much everybody. Daniel Story pointing out that uh, he got 31 minutes, even Ali Dai got 53. <laughs> He was a, he was a top centre half at Saints, Lovren. What what's happened? Is it like goalkeepers at Arsenal? Well, I thought. I mean, albeit he was only really playing against Lukaku himself, but I thought the previous week Lovren played as well as I've seen him against Manchester United. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the first goal I think was a combination of errors. The second one was 
I mean, that's just a long ball. You know, it, that's a, like a League Two header. If a League Two centre back gets that wrong, you're, you're asking questions. I can't really explain that other than the fact that he has not been training consistently over the last couple of months. He was brought off early. I wonder if that was fitness related because that was just a, it was just a baffling decision to to not win that header. Really, when he came off, we I was watching the game. And I was saying, Dejan, just get an ice pack and put it anywhere. Yeah. Just put it anywhere <laughs> yeah. because you know it wasn't it wasn't wasn't fitness related. You know, Klopp, the the huggy, lovable manager, just ignored him. A guy went to put his his uh, coat. He didn't actually give it to Dejan. He put it on the seat next to him, and it actually fell off the seat. So. And I don't blame, you know, assistant managers and coaches not speaking to players who are in that situation, because he would have most he might most probably would have smashed him in the face, you know, because that is the most embarrassing thing a professional footballer can go through. And I do think that if you were going to take a player off for making horrendous mistakes as a Liverpool manager, he should have he could have made twenty in his time there, by the way. And I think Liverpool's problem has come, yeah, for the two centre halves, but their goalkeeper is such a nervous wreck. If I was playing in front of him, I'd be a nervous wreck as well. And I think it all comes from a mignolet because you don't know what you're going to get out of him and it brings uh, a, an indecisiveness to the centre-half in front of him, to the back four, and I think that's the problem. Now, what, what's the solution to that then? Is it, is, if, if the problem is psychological, mm. is it to bring in more sports psychologists and things? How, how do players cure themselves of that mindset? Well, you sell them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because this is a Premier League and, you know, and, and no disrespect, but Dejan Lovren is a top player. Yeah, no way should make, be making a, a mistake that you wouldn't expect in non-league football. Matic is played in German Premier Division. He's a top player. No way should be making headers heading the ball to the edge of the, the box. Mignolet is a, a very good keeper, but he's got this nervousness with crosses and indecisiveness. And the only way to change it is to get new players in. And Klopp hasn't done that. And I thought he threw Lovren under the bus yesterday. Uh, I, I really do. I wonder what his Liverpool career is going to be now. Is he as nice as people think, Jurgen Klopp? Because I thought, yeah, I'd, when he first came, oh, I'd love to play for him. But when he does that to a fellow professional, and other players are looking around, they're thinking, you know what, you've left him, you've hung him out to dry there, and it's your responsibility to have dealt with that. Well, what should he have done? Left him on the field? He shouldn't have been in the side from a long time ago, oh. James. You All know, right. that, that's the point. That's the mm. point I'm trying to make. This is a problem that's been going. We've been talking about it for weeks. Mm. We talked about Brendan Rodgers having the same problem. Mm-hmm. We've been saying, you know, same players, same well. players. Aguero, the pass through to Aguero for the goal, the pass through to Yosselu, Newcastle straight through the two centre halves, went through and scored. This isn't a problem that happened just yesterday. This is a problem that's been happening for weeks. And by the way, you either you either tell the players or you coach them to say, let's not do this. When the ball's not under pressure, you drop off and allow the ball into feet, or you change the players. Now he's got options. He's bought. He's got. He's got Carius, hasn't he? He's got Claven, but obviously they're not people he trusts either. So it's his responsibility and it's his fault that Dejan Lovren is playing like that because it's a manager's responsibility to get the best out of his players. He's getting the best out of the, the front players. We all see that. But he doesn't get the best out of defenders. Mm. Interesting that when Lovren went off, it was Oxley Chamberlain who came on as opposed to say Claven and Oxley Chamberlain. How much did he spend on him? Thirty-five million pounds. So I read this stat that. Liverpool, since Klopp has been there, have spent how much on the defence? Twelve million, about a third of Oxlade Chamberlain. And as Gary Neville was pointing out in commentary, it's just bizarre that with all the issues they were facing, that they would decide late transfer window that that Oxlade Chamberlain was the kind of player they needed to go after. Yeah, and also, and it's probably harsh to mention this now because he wasn't particularly bad. In fact, I thought he did all right when he came on. But it looks like Klopp is really waiting for Oxlade Chamberlain to get up to speed. But this is a player who was available for free next summer. So they've essentially spent thirty-five million when they could get him for free next year. So this is almost a thirty-five million pound season for Oxlade Chamberlain, and uh, there's just that's quite a lot of pressure, and he's clearly not going to live up to it. Liverpool dropping to ninth now, a whopping three points off the top four. Matt, how about some French news? Oh yes, please. You won't be across this, but Falcao, who of course had a terrible time in the Premier League, has got his thirteenth goal of this season. Wow! This weekend, as Monaco beat Caen two nil. Claudio Ranieri, remember him? I remember Claudio. He's with Nantes now. They're up to third. And they scored two goals this time. I'm pleased for him. Good. He's a good man. And he was badly treated at Chelsea and badly treated at Leicester. Interesting. Not going to go there because it's a a big conversation now. But anyway, 2-1 win over Gangon. But the the biggest story in France this weekend was Le Classique 
Michael, how much drama in this? Uh, Florian Tovan, again, not a wild success in the Premier League, actually put Marseille ahead with 10 minutes to go, and then all hell broke loose. Yeah, featured a Neymar red card, which was obviously very exciting. Um, which is slightly harsh, but... Especially given the treatment he'd been receiving. He actually yeah. had to have police protection to take corners. So angry, so fired up were the crowd at the Villadrome. And they really tried to kick him off the off the pitch as well in terms of the challenges. And eventually he reacted. He kind of... It wasn't quite a headbutt. He kind of chested someone, but did make contact with his head, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and got his marching orders. But that was when PSG were 2-1 down. And uh, seemed like they were destined for a first defeat of the season. And then he was saved by a fantastic Cavani free kick, which is obviously ironic because the two have been falling out. And he um, probably wouldn't have taken the free kick if Neymar hadn't been sent off. Of course, yeah. And it was an incredible hit. And the great thing about that was mm. that there were no PSG fans allowed into the stadium. So there was this deathly silence. Really, really weird atmosphere there. But just complete silence when the free kick went in, aside from the PSG players uh, whooping and wailing. Right. Anyway, that, that draw, them dropping points, means they're only four points clear now of Monaco. And did you see what Danny Alves had said before this game? No. He said that he couldn't name a Marseille player. Stop. He couldn't name, which is particularly funny because they included his ex-teammates Patrice Evra and Luis Gustavo. So he clearly was just unaware of their location. That's just wrong. Back in the Premier League, though, Huddersfield... Three exclamation marks I've given this on my notes. Only three players have scored past David De Gea in the Premier League this season, and two of them was in this game here. It was Man United's first defeat of the season. They conceded as many goals in five minutes as they'd done in the previous 11 hours of football. And it's the first time that Huddersfield, who hadn't won in six, had beaten them in 65 years. Wow. That always sounds more impressive than it is. But how often have they played each other in 65 years? It doesn't matter, man. I know, it's, it's amazing. But it is, they haven't been playing each other for 65 years, have they? You know, they haven't played each other for God knows how long. Generations of Huddersfield fans have come and gone without seeing their team beat one of the greatest institutions in English football. Oh, well, but great... this weekend, it happened. Absolutely, it's brilliant. And I was delighted. And off the run of form that Huddersfield have had, I mean, they were really that early impetus that they'd, they'd gained at the start of the season it seemed to have been completely evaporating. It's always good to see Man United lose. That is always, there's always good news, whether it's Huddersfield, whether it's Man City, whether it's, you know, whoever. A Man United defeat should always be celebrated. You'll have chuckled perhaps at Victor Lindelof's performance. Daniel Taylor in The Guardian pointing out that in the 10 minutes since he came on, or from when he came on, Man United conceded as many goals as they had in the previous eight Premier League matches. (laughs) Did you enjoy his performance, Lindelof? Uh, well, as, as, as long as, as, as I say, as long as Man United lose, I'll, I'll always be delighted with whatever has happened. Ideally, they'll have a couple of players sent off and some injuries as well. I mean, I can't sort of underestimate. I can't uh, over-explain how. It's funny how United fire up that kind of passion more than any other club. I think even if you don't feel that way, and there are plenty of people who really enjoy Man United, and I think this season at times, maybe not the last couple of games, they've been terrific to watch. But... Uh, even if you are a United, well, maybe not if you're a United fan, but most people, I think, can really enjoy seeing Huddersfield and David Wagner doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. The reason why I enjoy the Huddersfield performance is because they, you said that, you know, their last, you know, Swansea last week, they were atrocious. This week, they got up for it. And that's a really difficult thing to do. And they said, look, without the ball, we are going to get in Man United's faces. We're going to show no respect. And that put Man United on the back foot. They just didn't expect that and they couldn't cope with it. We'll come to Man United in a minute, but this Huddersfield side, you know, they're all favourites for relegation, but no matter what happens, they've, they're playing with pride, you know what you're going to get from them. Within their limitations, they're doing, they're giving 100%. And yeah, you could give points and mistakes from Linderhoff or, or whatever, but you have to take advantage of those mistakes, and they did that. From Man United's perspective, I just feel that when you go out into a game the week before and you don't try to win the game, from a player, and you've been trying, when you try and win games, is it a coincidence you win three, you win four, because you've got the better players, you go to Liverpool and you say, right, we're going to, we're going to, as you said, park the bus, we're not really going to try and win the game. You start the game, the next game slowly. Is that a surprise? Because Lukaku had one touch in, in 22 minutes last week. He's hardly had a touch of, of a ball, in the, uh, he had three touches in the box against Huddersfield. Is that a surprise? And then you've got Man City, you'll go to win games, going and, and starting the game off really well. Is that a shock? Is that the players? Is that down to the players? Is that down to 
Jose Mourinho. I think it's down to Jose Mourinho. Mark Oliver Scott says last season Man United scored one league goal in October. What's the likelihood of that happening again this year, given the next two fixtures, which are against Spurs and then away at Chelsea? Well, probably quite high then, because I imagine away at Chelsea they'll be uh, parking the bus and Tottenham have a very good defence. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think we need to say a little bit more about Huddersfield, though. Uh, Aaron Moy, another terrific performance from him. And I, I loved uh, Del Poitras. Is it Del Poitras? Del Poitras. Yeah. Yeah. Poise uh, on, that, on that opening goal when... Mm. He can't. He must have found himself in entirely unexpected territory, no, as he broke free. Yeah, I mean, often, I mean people say, look, it's uh, concentrate on the mistake by Linderhoff, but as a striker, you, you see so many strikers miss that opportunity, hit the goalkeeper, by the way, he's up against the hair. Mm. He's gone round him and struck it into the net, and he's a big lad. He's about six foot four. You yeah. know, no disrespect to him, he looks more like a, a boxer than a footballer, but he's quite mobile. You know, you're just saying that you look the makeup of him, and he got into the side. Unexpectedly, you know, he wasn't the first choice. You know, Munier was doing really well and then got injured. He's got into the side, but he just epitomizes what Huddersfield's about. He's big, he's strong. What you get, what you, what you see is what you get. And against Man United, it worked. And so, what I was really pleased about are the celebrations. David Wagner came on. He was the most delighted. He really does enjoy. The most fans just come. Yeah, well, you know, it's just it's just another three points. He's going. No, this is a this is one of the best moments in my life, and we should enjoy it. We should embrace it. And that's what Huddersfield are about. They they those moments. They won't have many of those moments, but boy, should they relish and enjoy it. And they really enjoyed it the weekend, and they deserve that. They've moved up to eleventh place in the table now, Leroy. Yeah. Do you know who's right behind them? Fuller promoted side Brighton wow. Hove Albion home to your boy Liam yeah um, and again you talk about you know what you're going to get you know what you're going to get from Brighton they're going to be extremely well organised mm. by the way I think there's some players in that side who are extremely underrated I think Lewis Dunk is as good as an English centre half as, as I've seen in recent seasons as close to a John Terry lookalike when John Terry was, was young um, going forward you know Glenn Murray's going to give you what he's got he's never had a chance in the Premier League but when he does get an opportunity he will score not the greatest at holding the ball up but he's a goal out and out goal scorer and he showed that against West Ham even though West Ham were very poor but they've got a manager in Chris Hewton who is just a really good guy and he's got really good people in his team and they give him everything from a really well organised basis and that gives him a chance Shout out to Duncan Alexander Oily Sailor who tweeted, first seven names on the Brighton team sheet for this game sounded like a stag weekend roll call. Ryan, Bruno, Bong, Dunk, Duffy, Proper, Gross. How <laughs> um, curious. Mm. As I say, Resenia Jr. Is, is part of the Brighton squad, but yeah. you're a former hammer. Yeah. What did you make of their performance in what was a 3-0 defeat at home? Mm -hmm. Remarkable statue. Do you know that they've lost just under a quarter of all their Premier League matches at the London Stadium? By at least three goals. Wow. Almost a quarter by at least three goals. Uh, so what did you make of this one? Well, James, it, it reminded me, when I was watching it, I just felt this, um, it reminded me of me in the last game when Brentford got beat 4-0 at home by Crew and I got sacked afterwards. The same sort of feeling. And you've seen it. Is this, the, the game said the, the manager's going to get sacked. But then if I hadn't seen David Sullivan's interview before the game when he said that Slavin was going to be there to the end of the season, then... I would have thought that he would have gone, in all honesty, but he's not. And I think he's right to stay, because I felt sorry for Slavin. I just look at the players that he signed, Joe Hart, Zabaleta, Font, Arnautovic is, is an absolute disgrace at the moment, by the way. Um, he looks like he doesn't even look like he's trying a leg. All those players, uh, Chikorito is trying, but he's not going to score from big, long diagonals. I think they thought he was Andy Cowell. Um, uh, so you, you look at the team, and Slavin has got to shake that team up. And... Uh, I, when I watched West Ham in recent season, I'm a big Mark Noble fan, but I keep thinking, they signed all these players and Mark mm. Noble's still in the side. They left him out the side and they didn't have any spirit whatsoever. So you can understand why Mark Noble is in the side because he shows them heart and they didn't show any heart whatsoever. But I'm pleased that he's got a couple of games. Apparently he's got a couple of games. But when you're a manager, James, and you you know that you're mostly going to go at the end of the season, I just mm. think it must be really difficult to motivate yourself knowing that you're most probably not going to earn another contract. You're most probably going to be moving on. When, you know, you haven't really got the back of the board, it's like, well, yeah, we're not too sure about you. You're going into work with the attitude. And then the players think, well, you might not be here at the end of the season either. Or the end of the week. Or the end I of the week. But, but I mean, they've, definitely... got, they've got Spurs coming up oh. next in the in the League Cup, as we mentioned before, Kane probably and all sorts of other people probably not featuring. Michael, do you buy that, that it's the players' fault, not Bilic, that he deserves a chance to sort it out? Uh 
Not particularly. No, I, I think for a year for a year or so now, I think I've just when I've been in a press conference with Billich, he's just seemed really resigned. And you know, when he first came, he was this really dynamic, quite feisty manager. And I'm not sure whether it's his fault that things have gone awry. But what we are seeing in football over the last couple of years in particular is that when you appoint a new manager, you do seem to get that boost, you know, that freshness and whether it's wanting to impress a new manager or whatever. You know, I'm not sure Bilic has done too much wrong, but I can't really see him turning it around, to be honest. Listeners, like a stat, have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Talked about one Manchester side, Matt. Not sure how you're disposed to the other one, Man City. Love them. I think they're playing the best football since Arsenal's Invincibles. Mm. And uh, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for them, probably due to not liking United and probably due to being an Oasis fan. Uh, so I've always been sort of predisposed to them. And Kevin De Bruyne... Do you find your musical tastes influence your footballing allegiances? Uh, How do you stand on... I'm trying to think of other ones. Maybe. Elton John, Watford, does he... Uh, you dispose or all dispose? Well, no, actually, because I'm a big Kasabian fan and I hate Leicester, so right. maybe it's a one-off sort of deal with, uh, with, with City. But De Bruyne looks absolutely magnificent. OK. Uh, as a sort of blessed with a footballing brain that I think is, is is really quite rare and they are playing with a sort of confidence uh, they look relaxed and it, you know the, as a as someone who's used to watching Forest where it's sort of cagey stuff and even in the Premier League you know you talk about Mignolet at Liverpool even Joe Hart at West Ham it's very rare to watch a team that look totally in, in sync and totally relaxed and Man City are I think the, the best team to watch at the moment Alright 11th win in a row that uh, Burnley not too downhearted by the 3-0 defeat. They managed to tweet 83rd minute, Pope saves from Jesus. Amen to that. <laughs> That's from Burnley FC. Pope, if, if you'll excuse the pun, he's been there saving grace, no? Pope? Pope? Yeah. Yeah, well, yes, although... He he's, did, faced, he... he's faced more shots because he came in, of course, for Heaton. It was wonderful last season. And I think game week four, since then, he's faced more shots than anybody. Well, the team as a whole have faced more shots than any team anywhere in Europe's top five divisions. Yeah, he's done very well. However, uh, he did concede the penalty for the first goal Mm. with what I thought was an unnecessary challenge. And despite Daesh's protestations about the way Bernardo Silva went down, it was a foul. He he slid into uh, Silva's ankle with his knee, so it was quite clearly a penalty. Fair enough. Anyway, that was quite exciting. Three goals in that one. Uh, a whopping six of the second match in a row at Stamford Bridge, actually, in the clash between Chelsea and Watford. What, what a game of two halves this one. I mean, it, the narrative at the end is about how Conte turned it around and the spirit in the team. Uh, a bit like Chelsea almost did in their opening game when Burnley took the lead and they almost pulled off a comeback. This time they did, thanks to Batshuayi, who's been so woefully neglected by Conte. Watford looked fantastic at the start and I genuinely thought they were going to do it. And I, th- mm. I still feel, on reflection, that they, they deserved they deserved a victory against Had Chelsea. Richarlison put away one of those chances? Yeah. Well, they were creating so many and they looked, they looked great going forward. And it was just, you know, against teams like Chelsea, and we played there earlier in the year and didn't show anywhere near as much promise, I'm afraid, in the, in the League Cup, and they tore us to shreds. You can never, you can never relax against a team like that and... Um, if I was a Watford fan, actually, I'd be I'd be gutted with the result. But actually, the performance I thought was superb. Mm. Yeah, I was at this game actually. Ah. It was the um, second time in a row I'd watched Watford, and they were so much better than against Arsenal, despite the fact they lost this weekend. Player I was really impressed with uh, was Pereira on the right, who um, you know he, he's playing the same role to Richarlison, but he's a very different player. Comes in field more, uh, links play. And I thought that the the kind of passing combinations in the final third were excellent. Deeney was coming short and linking play as well. I think really Watford lost this game with the substitutions. Hmm. Um, Conte, you know, has been complaining about the lack of depth he's got, um, which I think is probably fair for a title challenger. But a manager like Silva would would love to have the depth he has because he was able to bring on Willian, who was excellent and, and changed the game. And Batshuayi, who, who got two goals as well. Whereas you look at what Watford did. They took off Deeney. They brought on Ben Watson, who's kind of a a defensive midfielder, and they just had no threat going forward. And it was just a, a siege mentality for the last 15, 20 minutes, really. Whereas if Watford had brought on uh, Gray, who I, I thought was actually very poor against Arsenal, but he would have given them some counter-attacking threat and maybe they would have, you know, not been under so much pressure. But it was a really good performance from Watford. And I, I just get the feeling from watching them that there's 
as well as being uh, very good tactically and having some very good players, there's a really good spirit there. You just look at the reaction to the two goals. Ducore sprinted the length of the pitch and celebrated in front of the fans. The second one, they all came over, had a huddle in front of the dugout. They just seem really up for the fight. And that's a big turnaround from the end of last season under Matsari, who I think got a little bit too much criticism, but clearly by the end of the season had given up and they lost the last five games or whatever. I think Silva's done really, really well just to turn that mentality around. Mm. I was just going to say that when Decore started running towards, I was saying, please don't do an Adebayo, please be towards your <laughs> own fans. And, and it was. And um, I think Tom Cleverley needs a lot of credit as well because I've, I've, I've been one saying, no, what does he actually do? I think in the last... Uh, three or four months at Watford he's been comfortable and you see what he's about he's a team player he does things simply he, I think he takes tactic, takes on tactics very very well I think you give him instructions and he seems to be able to understand exactly what he's supposed to do which is a really important part of being a professional footballer so I'm, I'm really pleased for him the other player from Chelsea's perspective I think deserves a bit of credit is Apocosta because we've not seen him but he came on put a couple of crosses remember he came on straight away had a little run put a couple of crosses in the box and I know that uh, Conte is moaning about not having the, uh, the, the depth of squad, but we've not seen anything of Zappacosta. Uh, and every time he has to make changes, he seems to put Aston Lequeta at right wing back when Aston Lequeta is the best defender, I think, in the league, in all honesty. Yeah. And it imbalances Chelsea. So I think Zappacosta was a, a real bonus as well as Willian and Bessway. Pedro's goal was pretty special as well. Mm. To what extent did Watford's first half performance represent the answer to Chelsea's football? And this is something we've seen from various teams, DL indeed, uh, tweeting, I love the mixer. Uh, Michael, what will the next tactical evolution be to combat the rise of 3-4-3? Well, I, I don't know, really. That's a very difficult question. But I think we have seen teams who have, I wouldn't say worked out Chelsea, but this time last year they were unstoppable. Mm. Towards the end of last season, we saw Tottenham played three at the back against them and did very well. We saw a lot more teams press high up. We saw Roma do that in midweek. Watford did it very well at the weekend. Um, and I think, it might be very simplistic, but I think if you can keep Hazard quiet, that's almost half the job. I think Chelsea look really, really disjointed when Hazard isn't playing well. Mm. The Chelsea-Watford game is the windiest game I've been at for windiest. years. Windiest. And I just it was a very windy yeah. weekend. And I just thought there were lots of incidents up and down the league with just players misjudging the role of the ball and not trusting it to, to bounce properly. And I think there was some really just uncharacteristic mistakes this weekend and I don't want to kind of use it as an excuse mm. for anyone in particular but I think it contributed to a lot of silliness basically well that's a fair point actually because it was a remarkably windy mm. you know meteorologically speaking you think it, if it was gusty at, at Stamford Bridge can you imagine how it would have been at Stoke oh god that is the worst <laughs> stadium I've ever been to <laughs> Freezing, and I got mm. chased through the car park afterwards. Did you? Oh, they don't you like us. Or, or <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not the only place it's happened, but it was. Um, it's kind of yeah. like a hard day's night, that there's kind a, of thing. There's a, yeah, it's quite. It's not quite. No, no, no. It's that there. Um, there's quite a rivalry between Forest and Stoke. Is there? Yeah, and it's uh, it's quite a nasty place to go. If you're oh, really? Forest. Okay. It's, it's not the best place to go if you support anyone, really, is it? The Britannia Stadium. Does your tour? In, yeah, your tour doesn't take you to Stoke. Uh, certainly not to a football stadium. Okay. Or Manchester. All right. <laughs> anyway. oh, I did well, yeah. I'm doing Chorley, which is not far out. Stoke, among the weekend's other results, got beaten 2-1 at home by Bournemouth. It's one thing to get demolished by City, but Bournemouth, who'd only had one win all season and had only scored four goals and didn't have King Ordefoe in their lineup, still managed to win there. Uh, Mark Hughes only had one league win since mid-August. Uh, they're going to be at Watford at the weekend, and you'd fancy the Hornets. I mean, Watford, Watford are slightly ahead of this, but the funny thing about the Premier League this year is, I think there's about 10 sides where I think you could throw a blanket over them in terms of how good they are. You know, I, I, it's quite exciting in a way, but there's, there's a lot of... Um, there's no hierarchy, if that makes sense. I'm not sure. I've no mm. idea who's going to finish in the top half, and I've no idea who's going to finish... Well, one or two relegated. clubs, but among those 10. Among those 10. I think yeah. everyone, looking at the league table, everyone from... Burnley downwards, with the exception of Liverpool, could could get relegated or could be in the top half. It's, right. it's not much to choose between. There you go, Liverpool fans. It's interesting to see what's happened to Stoke, isn't it? Because when they got promoted, I think Stoke sort of immediately established themselves. Yeah, they've been there for as a mid-table Premier League side. And if you were to look at, you know, most promoted teams, you'd say if you ended up as a Stoke, having never been in the Premier League before until that point, you'd settle for for what they've done. There are only goal of, difference now above the bottom three. They sort of quietly got on with it, but mm. it, it, that experiment or the, or the formula seems to have sort of eroded this season. Yeah. Mm. All right. 
There's more more Premier League. And uh, talking about actually one of the goals of the weekend, I think, uh, plus ooh, a little bit of politics and uh, some saucy continental stuff coming up after this. Saucy Continental Department. It doesn't get saucier than Scotland, where Celtic made it 60 games unbeaten domestically under Brendan Rodgers. That was a 4-2 win against Hibs at Hampden, taking them into the Scottish League Cup final. Will they face Rangers then? No. Rangers lost to Motherwell. Boom. In Germany, Jupinks came in by Munich, three wins in a row, now level with Dortmund on top. They've got a tricky set of uh, fixtures coming up have Bayern Munich. They've got a double header with um, Red Bull or RB Leipzig, my mistake, in the League Cup midweek and then uh, on Saturday in the Bundesliga. By the way, on the subject of Dortmund, they only managed a 2-2 draw with Frankfurt, but that was a game which saw Jadon Sancho making his debut with eight minutes to go. You remember they recalled him from the Under-17 yeah. World Cup? Mm. Well, it's good that they're actually giving him minutes yeah. if they're going to recall him. It did seem a bit of a strange one. Mm. And I still don't really... Agree with recalling. No, I, I, I mean, I agree with you not agreeing. In the under seventeen World Cup in India, Leroy, have you been across this? Uh, I saw some of it while I was in India. Yeah. Bingo! Oh, you went out to India, didn't you, for yeah, the Premier League? For the Premier League, yeah. Wow, how was that? Amazing. Yeah, people were absolutely amazing. Big shout out to you if you're listening in India. <laughs> no, the, the twenty thousand. I thought it was twenty thousand. I thought it was ten thousand Liverpool fans and 10, twenty thousand where uh, in the, in the Premier League. Uh, it's a Premier League event, you know, for the Liverpool Man United game, all the Premier League games, and it's a, it's, a, it's an event park. Yeah, there's all things going on. Robocop. Alan Shearer was there. Mark, John Barnes was Sorry, there. Sorry, did you say Robocop? <laughs> Robo goalie. Robo goalie. Oh, okay. It's almost impossible to score against. Right. But if you kick the ball nice and slowly, he reacts too quickly. If you know right. what I mean, it goes in. But and anyway. Alan Shearer, nothing robotic about him. No, and certainly not. Okay. And, uh, um, but um, we thought there was 20,000 fans. We thought they were just Liverpool and Man United fans. And uh, Don Hutchinson, who I went with, said, mm. any Arsenal fans? And one Arsenal fan appeared in the middle of these 20,000 fans. He said, I'm an Arsenal fan. And then another Arsenal fan said, no, I'm an Arsenal fan. And I'm, wow. it was like Spartacus. It was amazing. <laughs> All right, you had a good time anyway. We had a great time. They're good people. Oh, that's fantastic. Anyway, currently going on in... India is the under-17 World Cup. England have been doing very well. They've now made it to the semi-finals, having beaten USA 4-1 with a hat-trick from Liverpool's Rian Brewster. Boom, have some of that. They'll be taking on Brazil. Wow. Brazil. They played uh, Germany Sunday night, beat them 2-1. Spain in the other semi-final are going to be up against Mali. How about that? Uh, That's taking place on Wednesday. The final... Uh, producer Ben points out takes place in Kolkata at the Vivekananda Yuba Bharati Krigarangan Stadium or to give it its other title the Salt Lake Stadium I don't know if they, do they have a Salt Lake they might do well, anyway know. fascinating uh, oh Italy big game Matt here was first placed Napoli taking on the team right behind them Inter Sunday night guess what the score was 2-1 nil nil. Yeah. Really disappointing game. I should have really. guessed 0-0, no, no, really. Yeah. Did you think it was a disappointing game? Yeah, I did, because I wanted some goals, Michael. I know that's wrong. Do no, I mean, I, I was up for some goals, but I thought it was still entertaining, wasn't it? I thought Napoli played some good stuff. I mean, yeah. it, after about an hour, it was clear they were settling for 0-0, nil, nil, but I thought the first half was entertaining. It wasn't a bad game, but it was disappointing, okay. given my expectations for it. Um, but it has allowed other people to close the gap a little bit. And you've got two teams right behind, well, three points behind them, Juventus and Lazio, who continue to do sterling work. Juventus, what a remarkable game this was. Just to put this in perspective, Juventus had only picked up one point in their previous two matches. They go to Udinese, uh, they go a goal down, they manage to get it back to, I think it was 2-1, and then they get Mario Mandzukic sent off in bizarre circumstances. Basically, two yellow cards in the space of four seconds. Because he, he gets fouled in the box, has a bit of a set-to with the defender. They each get a yellow card for, basically, handbags. And then he tells the referee to do one and gets, and then he has to do one himself. Good. So Juve now down to 10 men. But they ended up winning, what was the score this time? 2-1. 6-2 oh to God. Juventus. 6-2. Very impressive hat-trick for Sami Khedira. And Juventus are going to be facing Milan next Saturday. Ooh. That could be Montella's... Final game, or, or maybe not even there, I guess. By the way, just want to say, they're, they're level Juventus in kind of joint third with um, Simone Inzaghi's Lazio. Simone Inzaghi's brother, Pippo, continuing to do amazing work 
at uh, Venezia. Venezia just come up into City B, the second Italian division, and this weekend they took on the league leaders, Empoli, and beat them, moving joint top One of win. City B. So the two Inzaghi brothers fly. We'll talk about more of this kind of thing on Thursday when uh, James Horncastle's in and people aren't, you know, doing that hooking gesture at me. Um, oh, more Premier League. Let's do that. Leicester, you mentioned new manager bounce, Michael. <laughs> yeah. They won away at Swansea. That's three home defeats out of the last four for Swansea because I was just about to say they, that's a tough place to go and win, but actually it's really not. Obviously, yeah, they, they, they've got the result against one, uh, Huddersfield last right. week, but um, I always fancy Leicester to win this. Yeah. yeah because, you know, the players... You, I, I saw a stat about their running stats before Ranieri um, left the club. You know, they, they were down, and then when Shakespeare took over, they were up. When Shakespeare lost his job, they were down. Mm. And if I most probably saw the running stats from this weekend, they're most probably up again. So I think the players, obviously, just relax a little bit when Craig Shakespeare was in. But I, I, I think the, I could, you can kind of every time they change the manager, the new manager always brings Okazaki back into the side. Right, uh, Iheanacho, who went for twenty five minutes. By the way, uh, not for me. I know he's at Man City, but twenty five million, I think, is a lot of money for this young man. Um, and so they just revert back to what they did when they won the league. And Okazaki was that man. He went on for an hour, did his job, worked hard, then he came off. So Michael Apton did that and Leicester win. Amazing. So why do they keep then leaving him out of the side afterwards? What's the issue? Because he scores goals. He does score goals. And a particular kind of goal as well. As I think well, he's always falling out. over whenever he scores, which I quite like. <laughs> he yeah. does, doesn't he? He always just seems exhausted <laughs> by the time he actually gets to shoot. He yeah. does. I mean, it only lasts 60 minutes, but he just gives that team balance. I think Jamie Vardy likes I don't think Jamie Vardy likes playing with anybody up front. He wants to run either way. And like Slomani's coming, not being a success. Iheanacho's coming, not being a success. Okazaki goes in and plays just in behind him. And allows him the space to run in behind. So, and then he, and he also supplements the midfield because obviously with no Kante there now, no drink water. Indeed, he is is hit and miss. You know, not the most disciplined at times, but a, a really good athlete. He supplements that midfield and makes him stronger as well. So, he does a job in, in getting the best out of Vardy and supplementing the midfield. And they seem to play better as a team and be more more organised when he's in the side. Well, let's hope Michael Appleton keeps him in the eleven since the start of last season. Oh, two seasons ago, Swansea have scored 11 goals in the Premier League, which is more than twice, more than twice as many as any other side. Wow! Is, it, <laughs> is any kind of can you do anything about that as a manager? Yeah, drop him. Well, it's not the same player. Is it Swansea? Is, is it, the whole team. You can't no, drop the whole team. I think. I think sometimes you know the. It was unfortunate, Fernandez, to be fair, mm. because the ball came flashing across. It's just, it's just one of those things. Um, well, it's it's eleven of them actually. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's um... a great own goal in that Udinese Juventus game actually, wasn't there? Yeah. One, of the, one of the Udinese defenders. It's kind of out swinging corner. This guy was a good eight or nine yards, but just absolutely planted it past the keeper. Fantastic. 180 degrees in the opposite direction it would have been genius. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle have moved up to seventh place, Matt, with a one 0 win against Crystal Palace. Uh, Oink Barmu, who's a Newcastle fan, pointing out that uh, the Magpies are one of only six teams in the Premier League with a positive goal difference. That strikes me as really surprising. Not, not surprised. Not that Newcastle are one of them, but that there's only six of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you, Crystal Palace is a sort of gimme for most people, isn't it? Uh, not Chelsea. Mm. Um, it's not. Newcastle are a sort of odd club, aren't they? Because they sort of swing from sort of been a yo-yo, you know, relegation promotion side. And then the potential there, partly because of the fan base, partly because actually, they, they, you know, they, there is there is still a sort of in the DNA of the club, they're a sort of big club. The mm-hmm. potential for Newcastle to be playing European football next season is genuine. So I, well, I can never quite make my mind up on them, on whether I sort of... What I definitely do think is that there used to be a sort of people's club that people wished well and wanted to do well, particularly in the Keegan era. Mm. I think sort of the Ashley period has sort of turned people against them and there is a, there is a lack of goodwill towards Newcastle United. Well, maybe, maybe that's all going to change with the new era that could be dawning soon up uh, in the north-east. Also this weekend, Saints beat West Brom 1-0. Saints, who've had a terrible run of form in terms of scoring goals at home, looked like they were heading for yet another uh, winless match at St Mary's until Sufian Buffal picked up the ball and came up with an absolute worldy... You saw this, I imagine, Leroy. I have to be honest, James. I, this was the last game of the Saturday, and I was watching this game, and yes. I did actually fall asleep during it. It did was you, that bad. And then someone screamed, I went, what? And I saw the replay. This was one of the worst games I've seen 
in Premier League history. And um, but and then it was just uplifted by this amazing goal by Buffal, who came on off the bench. He's been there a year, by the way. And what made me laugh? Great goal, by the way. He ran to the to the manager saying, mm. "Yeah, you should be picking me." It's his first goal in twenty three games, you know. But amazing goal, but an awful game. Right, Saints FC podcast tweeting saying, uh, "Jimbo, how good was that Buffal goal? Best individual goal of the season so far." It was Matt Maradona esque, except I would say it was better than Maradona's against England in eighty six. Why? Because of that magnificent. Neom and Craig Dawson collision. <laughs> so it had all of the slaloming yeah. and beating defenders, plus the kind of Keystone Cops moment. It was a great well slapstick goal, yeah. It'll yeah. get them a lot of money on You've Been Framed when it's repeated next year. <laughs> but um, I, I feel for Southampton, you know, they, they have been raided sort of year on year, not just of managers, but of some crucial players. How they've managed to sort of survive as a Premier League club and, and you know, at the moment be, be mid-table. Had they not been uh, successively sort of uh, cleaned out, they could potentially be... Well, not challenging for the title, but certainly European football. Yeah, well, sorry for their manager because he's one of those. Ma- you just never remember who it is. I just think that kind of sums up Southampton at the moment. For you, Leroy. For me, yeah. For you. Yeah. What about? Do you know who West Brom's manager is? Tony. Yeah, he's only had two wins in his last eighteen, and they got Man City, Chelsea, and Spurs in the next four. Wow. Mm. He do what he does. He's a pragmatist, and he'll do what he does until. And- they stop him doing it. Well, it's, it's. I think, look, you know what you're going to get from Tony. Um, I think it's difficult. We well, used to, but two wins in 18, that's not what you normally Yeah, it'd be get. interesting to see how many, how many draws have been in there. You know, yeah, I, if, if I put on my, I always put down nil-nil for West Brom. Mm. And, uh, I, and I quite, yeah, I hit the target on, on many times. And I've worked with Tony and, t- you know, so it's not something that he doesn't know. He knows this is what he does. He gets mm. the biggest players. He makes it difficult for sides and he keeps teams in, in the Premier League. And that's why... He gets jobs, and that's why he, you know he, he remains uh, in in work. This politic. Oh, sorry, Michael. Oh, sorry. No, this might sound a really stupid thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's I feel my like, job. I feel. I feel like the closer to the relegation zone West Brom get, hmm. the less likely they are to replace him. Because I, I feel like Pulis will always get you out of trouble. He'll always get you 42 points. Whereas if you push up into eighth position, you've got a bit of comfort, and you say, actually, maybe we mind some fancy football. You know what I mean? So it's almost counterproductive. You know what? Yeah. It, it, it's right because when when um, say like Sam Allardyce is in trouble with, with like a say he's like Sunderland, they say who do we need to get us out of trouble? Oh, Sam Allardyce. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've already got him, and that's exactly the same as Tony Pulis. Very good. Politics. That's what we're going to be discussing in the final part of this Totally Football Show. After this. Football and politics, Matt. Yeah. They say they don't mix. Do they? Who says that? Uh, Fools. Yeah. Here's Fred the Leopard. He doesn't say that. He wants to know Leroy's thoughts on the whole FA thing. One, as a player, and two, as the parent of a player making his way in the game. Just as a football fan as well, like, FA, what, what's, what's going, going on? on? Look, I, and, I've, I've said it for many years, James, mm-hmm. that the FA, when they try and deal with things, they try and sweep it under the carpet. It's now like a mountain, that carpet, of the stuff they tried to sweep under it. And it is amazing that when you're investigating an allegation of bullying that uh, the chief executive tries to bully the player into writing a letter to 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 uh, exonerate them from any responsibility so that sums up the the FA when i say sums up the FA it sums up the hierarchy at the FA right because you know, I keep hearing this root and branch, you know, investigation. By the way, the FA do some tremendous things. There's some really hard workers. There needs to be a review. And you keep all the good stuff that the FA do and you reorganise the bad stuff that they do, which is, there's quite a bit of, especially with the hierarchy in terms of governance and in terms of how to deal with these situations, which they always seem to have a panic. You know, I, I just think of all the incidents with Suarez and John Terry, how they could have had positive outcomes and kind of been a lesson for people instead of turning it into, oh, he's not a racist, he is a racist. It's not what the issue is about. Hmm. It's about the lack of the ignorance shown by someone towards someone else and how that shouldn't have happened. And when you get someone to understand that in the John Terry case, John Terry, from what I hear, is a great guy. I don't know John Terry very well but if you said to John look this is something that you shouldn't do because of these reasons I'm sure John said well you know what I didn't realise that John Terry isn't a racist these people aren't racist Luis Suarez isn't a racist but what he is he was ignorant and you need to have people say give that message out to people and so you give a good good message to our kids and it's a great lesson for everybody but the FA just think look we don't want this mud to stick because it's going to it's going to no you are you are there to move the game forward and they've stagnated the game 
by not dealing with these situations properly. Do you think they'll be there much longer than people at the top? No, 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 I don't. But then I would like to... It's, it's a difficult situation because they are, these are the people that are in situ. And so you need to pick their brains as to what has been going on. Like, you don't want someone going in there and thinking, well, where do I start? And the FA is a massive organisation. So, you know, you have to be sensible. It's not that you just sat people and say, we're going to send an ex-footballer in. I've been hearing this. Let's send an ex-footballer in. Don't, don't be ridiculous. This is a massive job, by the way. It's a massive administration job. It's a massive political job as well, by the way. You need, uh, you need a combination of people. You need ex-footballers. You need ex-administrators. You need people who are forward-thinking to go in. And in conjunction with the people who are there, with some of the people, whether that's Clark or, or whoever, you need to sort this out once and for all. You know, I'm not sure who that is because I don't know how the FA works, in all honesty. I, I do know what, what outcomes they seem to come out with, which are negative ones. Mm. So, But I do know that they need people in there to oversee what's been going on and start getting it right. I think eventually these people will go. I think there's no doubt about it. But I do feel that the FA has been given, yeah, this root and branch, no, because you see what's happening around the game at grassroots. Yes, there's some great stuff going on. There's people who work very, very hard for the FA. I don't want them staying with this thing because they certainly, they're, they're as, as embarrassed as uh, as other people. So I think the key is a review of the FA, get the people out who shouldn't be there and get people in who are more forward-thinking and will deal with things in, in, in right. the correct way. A new broom. Oh, although with all the sweeping under the carpet, maybe not. Yeah, sweeping under the carpet. Nice thing. Um, football and politics, of course, quite... You know, I say they don't mix, but we were mentioning the other day about George Ware, yes. who very much does mix... Well, he, has, he had football, now he's having politics. By the way, I was erroneous in suggesting that he had been elected the president of Liberia. It's gone to a second ballot, a runoff. That's on November the 7th. He's up against the current vice president, Joseph Boake. Like a playoff. Essentially, yeah. Me and Wark, Akakaladze, do you remember him? No. Milan defender out of uh, Georgia. He's just been a, a, elected mayor of Tbilisi oh, in yeah. In Georgia. Well, another Milan player in politics is Andrei Shevchenko. There you go. And you know the best thing about that? Uh, not sure. His political party translates as Ukraine forward, which is exactly what comes up if you look at his international profile. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very, very similar, of course, to what uh, Berlusconi was doing while Shevchenko was at uh, Milan, which was uh, Forte Italia, which is kind of forward Italy. Berlusconi never an Italian forward, though. Um, although many other things beginning with F. Uh, right, OK. You like politics, don't you? I do, yes. More than continental football, that much is clear. Oh, absolutely, yeah. These are heady times to be making a weekly show and podcast about politics. I mean... Yeah, not just domestically, but internationally, of course. Right. You know, and what is, uh, sadly, what is bad for the planet and bad for the stability of the global economy and for society is... Mm. Good for satire. So uh, I have sort of mixed feelings about the state of the world because it gets me a lot of work. Right. Although it might soon get a lot of people out of work. You know, if, you, if we're going to really talk about it seriously... Well, we've only got 30 seconds. Brexit's a disaster and must be stopped. Right. Well, we're, we best not say that, eh? <laughs> um, but, but, but sadly, Matt, we've only got 30 seconds left. So perhaps you could use that just to tell us where we can catch you. Check out the live dates at mattford.com slash live. Okay. I'm starting the- a new forest podcast. Oh, you're doing a po- forest a podcast? A new forest podcast called Reservoir Red Dogs, which will be... Oh, yeah. Um, I think it comes out this week. Does it? And features John Robertson. Okay. It's called the winning goal in the 1980 European Cup. Of course. Champions League final. There we go. Michael, what are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I, no. I'm, well, I'm going to Barcelona on uh, next weekend, which I'm somewhat nervous about, considering it's not the best place to go at the moment. Oh, well, you know. I mean, it might be, it might be interesting. But yeah, it I'm might, sure it will. It might also be... Chaotic. It could be barricades in the streets. I mean, let's hope not. Wow, it's crazy the way things have turning and turning in the widening gyre, eh, Leroy? What about you? What are you up to next? Oh, back watching Premier League football. Bingo. There are worse things, eh, Leroy? Absolutely. There are worse things. Not complaining. All right. uh, Well, we'll be back with you on Thursday. We'll be joined by Sam Delaney, broadcaster and West Ham fan, and also Carrie Dunn, friend of the show. So that'll be exciting. Do join us and find out, listeners, Thursday... We'll be there with that. Have yourselves a great time in the meanwhile. Many thanks to Leroy, Matt and Michael. And we'll see you again in a couple of days. Cheerio. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.